The Statistica Research Department published a report regarding child abuse in the United States that determined that the child abuse rate is the highest among American Indian or Alaskan Native victims, with a rate of 15.5 cases per 1,000 children. It was noted to be most common among children between the ages of 2 and 5 years old, with over 150,000 cases reported in 2020 alone. While we often talk about MMIW, we must remember that this epidemic affects women and girls of all ages. Since 1979, Kiera Lee Kosho's death has remained one of Iowa's most tragic cold cases. Having endured more abuse, trauma, and neglect in her three short years on earth than most people would in a lifetime. Her sister still continues to fight for justice today. This is the story of Kiera Lee Kosho. Hey guys, this is Ash. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie. And you're listening to We Are Resilient. All right. So today I'm kind of following Maggie's footsteps and I'm taking it back to an older case. We do a lot of focus on current cases because we want to help get the word out. But in doing so, we got to remember to get these decades old cases that have lost any kind of traction and make sure that they're still out there too. So for the case today, I'm going to cover an unsolved cold case. It's by far has been the hardest to research, to read. It's really, really sad. And if anything, it's probably going to make you really, really angry. I'm going to be honest, because this story involves a child. Before I go into this story, I just want to reiterate again, it's unsolved. Uh, Most people have a pretty good idea who did it and what occurred that fateful day. All I can do is read to you what I found and cite the sources in which I found them. And then you guys can decide for yourself. Are you guys ready? We're ready. Yes. All right. So I'm going to tell you a story that involves horrific accounts of alleged child abuse. Her name was Kiera Lee Kosho, and she was only three years old at the time of her death. Wow, just three. The baby. What year did this happen? It was in the 1970s. She was a member of the Lacoudere tribe in Wisconsin, which is like the coolest name for a tribe. So Kiera was born on August 15th, 1975 in Wisconsin to Wayne E. Kosho and Deborah Lee Butler. She had a sister named Bernadette, who, if I had to guess, was about two or a little over two years old when Kiera was born. And when the parents split, the father, Wayne, obtained custody of the girls due to the mother's alleged drug and alcohol abuse. It doesn't say precisely when, but within the three years of her short life, Wayne moved his family to Red Oak, Iowa, where he married a woman named Karen. Hmm. Now... I got a bulk of this information from the Iowa cold cases uh, website. I'll link in the show notes, but they were able to speak with Kiera's biological mother, Deborah, in 2016. In her accounts, she stated that Karen and Wayne had kidnapped the two girls and did not have custody or approval to take them from her. She said searching queries for her daughters were unanswered and minimized, but I couldn't find anything that detailed the court case filing that determined the custody of the children. She also said that Wayne had kept their location a secret and that she had no idea where they were living until she learned about her daughter's death one month after. Now, according to sources, they both worked at a motel called the Hilltop Motel, and their house was about 100 yards away. Um, There are conflicting accounts of what transpired this day, so I'll do my best to keep this on track. There's a lot that happened, uh, but several sources cite interviews from Karen, the stepmother, on what happened, and that's where I'm going to start. 
So the day Kiera died was July 12, 1979. Karen had told local police that she had taken Kiera with her to the motel around 1.30 or 1.45 p.m. She told them Kiera was playing with an empty pop bottle on the laundry room doorstep while she was removing sheets from various rooms. She stated that the laundry room door was open, and when she left to go to the house for a pass key she needed for another room, uh, she, quote, returned to the motel area about five minutes after last seeing Kiera. So the house, wa- the house was 100 yards away. She left the three-year-old on the steps and went to the house and came back. By this time, she stated that she didn't see Kiera, but did notice that now the laundry room door was closed. When she tried to enter the laundry room for some towels, she said the door wouldn't push open because of smoke and flames. She said she immediately returned home to call the fire department. Documented reports by both police and the Iowa State Fire Marshal Division give conflicting accounts of what happened in the minutes immediately after the fire ignited. So according to records on file from the Iowa State Fire Marshal Division, the fire alarm call came in at 2.15 p.m. and said it wasn't called in by Karen, the stepmother, but by the foreman of a construction crew working nearby. What time did she report that she went to her house? It says... She, at 1.30, 1.45, she was on the laundry room doorstep playing with an empty soda bottle. And then she went to, about, took about five minutes, go to the house to get a pass key and come back. So but the report to the fire department wasn't until three? Till 2.15. And they're saying it wasn't Karen that called. It was uh, a member of the construction crew that was working nearby. So that's about a 20 minute time difference. Where she mm-hmm. says it was just a, she was just gone basically for five minutes. I was, yeah, I would say 20, 30 minutes. When she couldn't open the door, she immediately ran home and called the fire department. And then the fire marshal division saying, we got to call it 215, but it wasn't her. It was the foreman of the construction crew. And this was the stepmom you said she was yeah. with? Now, Terry Sellers and Phil Harris, both of Red Oak, Iowa, were doing construction work on a neighborhood house when they heard people screaming and smelled smoke. Both men ran to the scene but could not enter the laundry room because of the intense heat and dense smoke. Uh, When they were finally able to get in, firefighters found the young charred girl lying on her back in the middle of the laundry room, almost as if the child had gone to sleep that way. According to at least one witness who watched Karen take Kiara into the laundry room, and then she walked several motel rooms away before an explosion occurred. And this witness also credited the construction workers for the ones who tried to save Kiara, not the stepmother. According to multiple sources that I will cite in the show notes, the fire did not destroy evidence of the injuries that Kiara sustained the night before. Kiara had been seen several times at the hospital in what was suspected of child abuse by the stepmother. In the months before her death, Kiara had spent an entire week in the hospital recovering from caustic burns to both eyes caused by Drano crystals and water. And there was a note that said the Drano crystals came from a childproof canister that a three-year-old could not open on her own. So was there not like child protective services involved or was that a thing back then? Yes. Now, the Drano incident actually left Kiera blind in both eyes. This little baby was blind. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so she was blind, but her mom left her and went hundreds of yards away? Uh, That's what it says. Her stepmom, not her Her mom. Her stepmom, yeah. Now, it gets worse, Maggie. Her case was handed over to social services and a caseworker was assigned. Uh, Reports also allege that Karen often locked her two young stepdaughters out of the house during the daytime hours and wouldn't even let them inside to use the bathroom. Now, remember, she has an old, uh, Kira has an older sister that's about two years older than her. So on Wednesday, July 11th, 1979, 
the day before Kiera died, Karen allegedly locked both her stepdaughters outside. When Kiera told her older sister she had to go to the bathroom, the five-year-old Bernadette banged on the door, hollering out to the girl's stepmother that Kiera needed to use the bathroom. They were not let in, and Kiera soiled her clothes. Now, remember, she's only three. So when Karen finally came to the door to let the girls in, after all, their father would be home soon, she discovered Kiera's accident, became outraged, and ushered them inside. Um, now, according to an information report from Detective Janet Franson, sent Monday, June 11, 2007, to the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, Karen took both girls into the bathroom and prepared a bath. Karen put Bernadette in the bathtub and then began undressing Kiera, growing angry as she removed the child's soiled clothing. Bernadette said her stepmother began to violently shake her three-year-old sister, consistent with the June 2007 report sent to the DCI. Karen repeatedly shook the child, and by the time she finally put Kiera in the bathtub, the child's body had gone limp, and she showed no signs of having any motor skills at all. She could not sit up, move, or even respond. When Karen let go of Kiera's body and left the bathroom, Kiera's unresponsive body slid down into the bath water, and five-year-old Bernadette struggled to hold her sister's head above water. It gets worse. Karen returned with a blanket, wrapped Kiera up, and took her out of the bathroom. When she returned, she got Bernadette out of the bathtub, dressed her in her pajamas, and put her in the girl's room. When Wayne arrived home, he found Karen sitting in a rocking chair. Bernadette came out of her room, and when her father saw her, turned to Karen and asked, What's wrong with Kiera? And Karen said, she's sick. Now, Bernadette could detail what she remembered from July 12th, 1979. And here's what she said. Quote, the next day I was outside on the swing set and Karen brought Kiera out in training pants and no other clothes. She was carrying Kiera and I asked if she could play. And Karen said, no, she's still sick. Bernadette and Karen's 16-year-old daughter, Kelly, that was there, and a longtime female motel tenant watched as Karen carried Kiera to the motel's laundry room. It was centrally located within the motel. And Karen opened the door, disappeared inside with Kiera, and came back out a few minutes later without the child. Bernadette stated, quote, Karen went a few doors down, and then the, and then the laundry room blew up. So yeah. did they do an autopsy on this girl? Uh, yes. Yes. And I'm going, I'm going to get there. I haven't not gotten to the worst part yet. I don't think it's so, it much worse. And it's all, it's all pretty bad. Um, there was a medical examiner, examiner at the time, Dr. S. Rodmond Smith, who ruled the official cause of death as neurogenic shock from burns to the entire body. And this was reported on the certificate of death. This means that after the violent shaking from the night before, the neurogenic shock would have left Kiera with either paraplegia a loss of movement and sensation in the lower half of her body, or quadriplegia, the loss of movement and sensation in all four limbs. The coroner's autopsy report and medical examiner's death certificate substantiated what Kiera's sister Bernadette said when she witnessed the previous afternoon that Kiera had been shaken so violently that she could no longer sit up, walk, or speak. And so it sounds like the stepmother allegedly could have caused this explosion to try to cover up what happened the day before. That's what it sounds like to me. But at this point now, we know that Kiera was three. There was reported documents of child abuse by the stepmother. She was shaken violently. And at the time of her death, she either had paraplegia or quadriplegia. She could not move and she was blind. It doesn't make sense why this child was still in their custody and no one looked into this. I completely agree with you. Now, with this type of acute spinal cord injury, Kiera would not have been playing outside the day the fire occurred. Reports from witnesses confirm Kiera had not been outside except for when Karen carried Kiera's body to the laundry room. However, Karen told investigators that Kiera 
must have reached up and pulled the gallon can of paint thinner from the laundry room shelf that she somehow pried off the childproof metal lid and it spilled all over herself before a spark from the water heater probably ignited the fire. Neither local nor state investigators questioned the three witnesses about the fire or the events leading up to it. But how could Kier do that if she was unable to sit, walk, or see? Yeah, or see. Um, I'm going to read you a portion of the report summary regarding Kira's death, and then you guys can respond to it. It says, quote, although there was a history of child abuse and or neglect involving Kiera, this agent could find no reason to believe her death to be other than accidental. There may have been some neglect in the supervision of a nearly blind child and also a violation of the fire safety codes and storing flammable liquids in a laundry room. But there was no apparent evidence of criminal intent or neglect. What? <sighs> These days, you would get charged with manslaughter for even leaving a child in a room with those things. I mean, yeah, yeah. unsupervised. So. Yeah. It's just, I was mind blown by the report. It's like, yeah, there was a history of child abuse and neglect, but a neglect of a nearly blind child. But and it's like, no, this don't sound like an accident. Mm-mm. Well, I think, too, in the 70s, it was like, did you guys ever watch the TV show Candy? No, I've never seen that. So it's it's a really interesting story. It's actually about a woman who murdered her neighbor, but it was in the 70s. And basically, like, it tells this whole story. It's Jessica Biel's the actress. And it tells this whole story of how she accidentally murdered her neighbor. But she was like this prominent woman in the community and, you know, went to church and took care of her kids. So it was like almost like completely unbelievable that something like this would happen. So mm-hmm. I think back then, like, it was probably not a common thought that someone would abuse their child and kill their child, you know? It it was almost, like, unheard of. So I wonder if that contributed to it, too. Like, Yeah, I can see that, you know, and us looking at it from outside eyes, and we're seeing, like, they're admitting there's a history of child abuse and neglect, and the child was nearly blind and left in this room with all these flammable liquids. So it's obvious to us, like, this ain't right. So there have been no charges or arrests. And Kiera's case is still considered unsolved. There have been petitions to get this case looked at again, but through a quick Google search, I haven't seen anything come of it. All I can say is, how does a blind paraplegic three-year-old pull a gallon of paint thinner off a shelf? This poor baby is being blamed for her death. If a three-year-old dies in anyone's care, it is only the parent's fault in a situation like this. I get there are accidents that happen, but a child dies and you know, as a result of negligence or putting them in a dangerous situation, then clearly the parents are responsible. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why they wouldn't even be considered a suspect. Well, and this just like, it has like all the pieces here, the history of abuse and you got Bernadette's account and what she remembers and her account matches up to the autopsy report and you know what they're seeing. Um, The poor baby was blinded by Drano crystals and was hospitalized for a week. I mean, like nobody was looking out for this little girl except for Bernadette. Yeah, her five-year-old sister. You know, I'd done um, a presentation not long ago, last month probably, on trauma, historical trauma. And even here in Cherokee, whenever whenever we still had the old hospital, like the first hospital, mothers and fathers would go there to have their babies. And the nurses would come up and tell them, like, you're not a fit mother. Don't you want your baby to have a better life? Not here in Cherokee, not here but with someone else who can give them a better life that can give them what they need. And so these nurses would convince these parents, these Cherokee parents to give up their babies. 
And so then they would take these babies down to the BIA building and they had this basket and they would place those babies in the baskets for people to come and adopt. Just like we would go to a pet store and adopt a puppy or a kitten, you could go and get a little Cherokee baby. So these people are now probably in their 50s. And there's no telling how many people that don't live here that are Cherokee that were taken away from their parents when they were babies. But I wonder if like in the 70s, that would have been about the same time in the 70s, if, you know, they convinced her mother. You said she was on drugs and alcohol? Allegedly. Allegedly. So what if they did the same thing to her? Well, she's saying that the dad took the girls. Uh, oh, they snatched them and moved away. Couldn't find them. The whole, the whole story is just really messed up. And um, if you go to Bernadette's Facebook page, the memorial page she made for Kira, you can tell just from the videos and stuff with her talking, like she's just, she's just at a loss. She don't know what to do or how to get justice for her sister because so much time has passed. So Kiara was buried in the Babyland section of Evergreen Cemetery in Red Oak on July 14th, 1979, and she would have been 47 today. Bernadette's Facebook page is called Kiara Lee Kosho. She told readers, they did not find my sister on time. She was burnt beyond recognition. I have told this story many times, and for whatever reason, it has been ignored and blown off. I was never questioned by authorities until my aunt tried to open the case then only to find Iowa will not do anything because they messed up. I believe one day the truth will come out. I don't know how, but it will. Whether it is because we were just two Indian girls in a predominantly white population and our life was less important, I don't know. But we were cast off, and since I went away to my mother, nothing further was asked. If you have any information regarding the death of Kiera Lee Kosho, please contact the Iowa DCI at 515 725 6010 or the Iowa Fire Marshals Division at 515-725-6145. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.